When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It is Monday night. It is September 19th, and the Hurricanes are coming off a disappointing uh, 17-9 loss at Texas A&M, and Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast is with me. Uh, again, to talk about this hurricane season, they're now two and one, number 25 in the top 25 poll of the AP. Um, Carlos, let's start here. Uh, first of all, Texas, I don't know if the last time you were in the state of Texas, but uh, I enjoyed my four days over there. I had a good time, um, saw a high school football game in a multi million dollar facility on Friday night, uh, sat with 107,000 people. And in Texas A&M and pretty much shit myself once the stadium started to rock and the press box was shaking. It was a little uh, nerve wracking there for a few minutes. I sent you the video. Um, I got over it. Uh, but all in all, aside from not coming back with a W for the Hurricanes, which I know you asked me to do, um, it was a pleasant experience. Yeah, man, I'm glad you had a great time. Uh, you did not come back with a W and I was going to try and find some way to stop you from coming back because uh, I warned you if you didn't come back with a W, there was going to be consequences. So I, I couldn't get through to DHS to make sure you got on the watch list, but you're lucky. So now we're going to let it slide. Hopefully when you go to Clemson, you come back with a win because if not, my friend, enjoy South Carolina. That may be your norm. <laughs> I may have to live there permanently. Um, so obviously disappointing uh, finish for Miami in this game. Um, because it felt like they dominated for the most part up front on on, on the offensive line and defensive line. Um, they hit Max Johnson, according to Mario Cristobal, I think 12 times, sacked him three times. Um, on the flip side, they were able to run the ball well against the Aggies uh, between the 20s. Once they got in the red zone, it was a different story. Um, and, and then, you know, they pretty much protected Tyler Van Dyke. I mean, he got hit five times, but no sacks. Uh, so you go in there and you say to yourself, man, you're going to outgain this team by over 100 yards. You're going to play well for most of the night and you're going to still lose by eight points because Tyreek Stevenson decided to field the punt he probably shouldn't have. And and so um, that turnover was costly. And then the struggles in the red zone were obviously the story of the night for Miami. Um, I know a lot of fans were frustrated with Josh Gaddis's offense. They were upset he didn't take any shots in the end zone. Uh, I went back. I watched the game again. They did throw a, a ball into the end zone. Uh, to Michael Redding, but the play was nullified because Ian Nelson was ineligibly downfield. So there was a couple of attempts. I think there was another pass down the sideline to Henry Parrish that was broken up near the goal line. Um, it's not like they didn't throw any shots into the end zone. They tried. The problem is they threw another situation. one to Kobe George. We ran a cross and up route. 
and mm-hmm. uh, he really didn't make an attempt on the ball, and the safety got over the top. So, yeah, they took a couple shots. And they took, of course, the out and up to Arroyo. The, the, ultimately, the problem is what we're dealing with today, which is Monday, which is it's obvious that the receiver situation, the one that we were worried about all throughout camp and all summer, reared its head because it's one thing for those guys to not drop any balls against Bethune-Cookman and to not drop any balls against Southern Miss and for life to be okay when Xavier Restrepo is healthy and producing. But that's not the case anymore. And between the drops and the injuries, now Jacoby George has a broken thumb from what I understand. Uh, Somebody I spoke to today confirmed that report from Rivals.com. For me, um, it's, it's it's kind of a dire situation now at receiver. So all of that is context. The floor is yours. Give me your thoughts on the football from Saturday. Well, first of all, before we get into the football, since you couldn't remember the name of my podcast last time, I, I put up a Oh, yes. Thank you for doing that. The MIA All Day Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. So that way we have clear cross-branding and cross-functional marketing. That's good. Um, you know, some things stood out to me. What Some of the stats that, that came out of this game were, were pretty ridiculous when it comes to, you know, the Hurricanes ended up losing the game. They're the first team since 2000 to have 27 first downs and zero touchdowns. Uh, out of that, which is pretty insane. They outgained Texas A&M by 128 yards, got 392, held them under 300 yards, held them to 264. They averaged 4.78 yards per play, which is not excellent, but it's good enough, you know, um, on 82 plays. Rushed for 175 yards. Knighton and Parrish each averaged over five yards a carry. They each had three runs of 10 yards or more. And you still can come away with victory. And it was at the end of the day, after rewatching it, I rewatched the offense only uh, and, and really focused in on it. And at the end of the day, a lot of it was execution, man. A lot of people are blaming Josh Gaddis for the play calling. But here's a, here's a fun fact. How many three announced did the Hurricanes have all game? None. 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 Their average play drive was nine plays. So they had one, let's see how many drives they had over 10 plays. I've got it right here in front of me. They had one, two, three, four, four drives of over 10 plays. Uh, The lowest amount was 12. They had a couple of 15 and 16 plays. So you moved the football against Texas A&M. You just couldn't cash in at the end because of execution errors. And I looked at the third downs, and I counted one, two, three, four, five first third down situations where the Hurricanes didn't convert were either a penalty, a drop pass, or a missed execution kill. They were 5 of 14 on third down. Five more makes you 10 of 14. How does the game flip at that point? So right. it's it's a situation where, you know, it's easy to knee-jerk and blame the coach when you don't get enough points. But, man, when you're moving the ball up and down the field and you can't get in the end zone. Now, I will say the only series where I scratched my head a little bit was where uh, the series where they ran Tyler Van Dyke twice, once on the goal line, I believe it was on second down. where They tried the quarterback power to catch him you know, off guard. And it was there except for the fact that, you know, Ja'Kai Clark got blown up. Uh, John Campbell ended up on his ass. If not for that, Elijah Royals leading him straight through that hole and he's he's dancing in the end zone. Um, the, the There's just, you know, the miscommunications, uh, the, the missed attempt at recovering that fumble off the muff punt by Texas A&M late in the game. Once I saw that, I figured we we're going to lose the game. It was just, you know, you, you got to come up with that. Um, to Miami's credit, Obviously, the defense played really well. The other thing is, when this team got down 17-3, that's when the red light started going off, and I'm thinking, okay, this is normally where Miami gets blown out. 
at this point, when things have gone wrong, they can't score to start the half. They get the ball back to Texas A&M. Texas A&M drives down the field. They have a ton of missed tackles on that series, and they give up those seven points. Now you're thinking, okay, now the tides are going to turn. These people are going to start boat racing us. But they held tough. They fought back, and they had a chance to go down and tie the game at the end, and it ends with a drop pass. Yeah, it, it was a theme. It was a constant theme the whole night, um, the drops. And, again, they had one drop in their first two games. Um, obviously not the same level of competition. And I, and I wrote a big article on The Athletic breaking down all of this stuff on offense. Um, I looked at all the red zone possessions, all the plays, um, nine plays, eight yards in the red zone. Um, the play that you mentioned uh, with TVD kind of running an RPO and following Elijah Royal. I mean, the blocking breakdowns were big on that one. Um, and then, you know, really, I mean, five pass attempts uh, and only two completions for two yards each. You know, one to Will Mallory uh, and and another one uh, short to Bashard Smith where he got blown up as soon as he caught the ball. That was the one play when I think back to it where they ended up having to settle for the field goal to make it 17-9. Um, where TVD didn't even look anywhere else. You could see it was it was going to Brashard no matter what on that play. But yeah, what know, they ran there was they they ran what's called a mesh return. So right. normally when you run a mesh, you have two guys crossing in the middle of the field. You have a back wheeling out of the backfield on the opposite side. So against man coverage, that's great. They run past. You try to find the guy that's break, breaking free. But you also have a zone beater where when they cross zones and they find a gap in the zone, they sit and settle. They've run it. They ran it a couple times, and then they ran the mesh return where the two guys who were supposed to cross came back outside. And behind that, you normally have a corner route on the mesh. Well, on that one, the receiver didn't run the corner. He ran a curl. Um, TVD didn't recognize that it was zone, so the corner was sitting there waiting for Bashard Smith. If he keeps reading the field to that side, he would have seen the curl wide open, sitting right. in the middle of the field for a first down, and he didn't. He didn't even look that way. Yeah, and, and I know Miami fans were killing TVD, saying he played terrible in this game, and why didn't we give Jake Garcia a look, and all those kind of things. And look, he's not devoid of blame in this, right? I mean, he didn't play great. He had, uh, I think it was Redding on another crossing route, where if he throws that ball on the money, he probably catches it. It's probably, a big, probably the biggest play of the night for Miami offensively in terms of yardage. Um, and he missed him, and it fell incomplete. Um, but, you know, one thing Josh Gaddis said today in, in sort of the uh, – you know, the, the post post thoughts uh, review of the film and everything is that, you know, Texas A&M was dropping eight a lot and they played it smart. They knew that if they, if, you know, in a shrunken area like the red zone where there's not a lot of space, nobody in Miami scared them. And I know there were a lot of people criticizing, well, they, they lost their best safety in the game to a targeting penalty. They were down two other, you know, defensive backs that were suspended, plus another kid who got targeted. I did the research. I looked at the five guys in their secondary, okay, who played. This is who it is. You ready? Uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan Gilbert, four-star, number 279 in the 2021 cycle, starter. Jalen Jones, five-star, number 21 in 2020, starter. Tyreek Chappelle, he's a three-star, but he's a starter, multi-year starter. Antonio Johnson, four-star, top 100 player in 2020, starter. And then the last kid, Bryce Anderson, He's the only 2020 recruit. And oh, by the way, he's also a top 100 player. So this wasn't a collection of scrubs that were in the secondary. Okay. And yes, their defense was young, but I mean, Texas A&M ranks 11th in pass efficiency defense in the season. Okay. Um, they're only allowing opponents to complete 50% of their passes, 147 yards, one touchdown allowed, one interception in 12 quarters. And that's, 
without a, f- a couple of their best players. Yes, they lost their best, you know, safety. But ultimately, everybody who's sitting there saying Miami should have killed these guys, right? Because they, they obviously don't know what they're talking about. Um, so, no, no, no. Uh, to me, that's a big factor when you when you when you look back at this. It'd be one thing had they had they lost every single one of their starters. I get it. Then you can criticize them, but that's clearly not the case. Um, a couple more stats. Uh, Van Dyke, 5 of 14 on throws 10 yards or longer down the field, 0 for 3 on throws 20 yards or longer. Um, when Restrepo was healthy this year, he was 12 of 18 on throws 20, uh, 10 yards or longer and 4 of 5 on throws 20 yards or longer in those first two games. Obviously, different level of competition, but when you lose X and he's out for six weeks, right? We know that now. I asked Mario after the game before it was indefinite. Now there's um, – we, we, we have the knowledge that he's going to be out at least six weeks um broke broke his foot okay broke his foot i got some more information today on it uh broke his foot in practice huh breaking news i like well not not necessarily breaking news uh i mean it was reported that he what kind of is he broke his foot the point is he broke his foot in practice and it was injured in the first game he kept playing on it and it was a matter of do you have surgery do you not do you wait to the end of the year and then he just ended up breaking it so uh, bottom line is uh you know, he was he was trying to be tough, trying to work his way through it. And now, you know, he's out for six weeks and now you got to develop, you know, develop some other guys. Uh, Burchard Smith, for one. Right. Who, who, who had the ball bounce right off of his hands, would have had a first down, would have kept Miami alive in that game had he not dropped that fourth down pass at the very end. Um, so, you know, is it frustrating if you're a Miami fan? Absolutely. But this is the breaks. Every year there's injuries in college football. Every year something happens. Um, and now Jacoby George has the thumb. And um, and so we'll see where they go. We'll see who who steps up. You know, I do remember us talking a, a, a lot about the three amigos, right? Romello Brinson, Jacoby George, Rashard Smith. These guys are going to come in and they're going to kick butt. Really haven't done it yet. Okay, this is year number two, not year number one anymore. Yeah, um, I mean, J- Jacoby flashed, but he had a couple plays, like that play where he didn't make a play on the ball on the deep route and the out route he ran, it, he didn't run it sharp and really didn't attack the football. When it came out of TVD's hand, it looked like he half-assed the route. Um, so yeah, he, sh- he, he shined a little bit on that, on that bubble screen, made a great play, made some guys miss, got up the field, caught that other ball on third down. But I mean, it's, it's like inconsistent, like you said. And, and the issue is, you know, we talked a lot about this for the last few weeks when we talked about Tyler Van Dyke, I kept saying that his issue isn't, getting the ball to people, his arm, his ability to get the ball downfield. It's, can he read the defense? Can he scan the field? And I would much rather see A&M have locked up, gone man-to-man, and brought more pressure to allow TBD to make easier reads and quicker throws. But they dropped a lot. They dropped eight a lot, like you said, and that confused him. And that made him hold the ball longer and try to find guys in spots where he normally wouldn't. And the other thing that I keep seeing with TBD ever since the Southern Miss game is the ball's not coming out sharp out of his hands. He's throwing a lot of balls that are wobbling, that although they're getting there, they're not crisp, tight spirals. And usually when that's happening, you have a finger, hand, or wrist issue. And obviously you're not going to disclose that, but it doesn't seem like he's throwing the ball um, as precisely in terms of his, his ability to throw a tight spiral and throw it on dimes like he has in the past. There's a couple throws where he got off, like the one to Arroyo that looked great, but then you see other knuckleballs. That there was even one, I think it was an out route, I forgot who it was, it might have been, I forget who the receiver was, but at the end, that ball dipped on the receiver, almost like a sinker. Uh, and the ball's not coming off clean of, out of his hand. So that's a little bit concerning. I, I mean, the issues that he's having, you know, a lot of it was contributed by drops. You know, there's not separation by the receivers. 
if you look at the the skid the game and you're looking at those roster running downfield, there's not guys getting open. But he's also not moving defenders with his head. Like on that throw to Jacoby George, he had a route going deep on the left-hand side. I think it was by, by Keyshawn Smith. The defender, the safety was sitting in the middle of the field, and then he had that crossing up by Jacoby George. All he had to do was give a little head look to Keyshawn Smith to get that safety to back out and start running the deep half of that field, that side of the field where Keyshawn Smith was, to free up Jacoby enough to be able to make that throw and have him lead him enough to make a play. And he didn't do it. He just stared at him the whole way. And, and that caused the play to be blown up. And those are just a couple instances where we've seen him lock on to guys and not use his head discipline and not use his eyes to move defenders. And that's a step that he's got to take and evolve with, which we thought coming into the season was some of the things he worked on. And he's also not a, a great uh, accurate thrower on the move as he's escaping the pocket on rollouts. You saw that he had Keyshawn Smith on a vertical route. And if he leads Keyshawn right outside shoulder down the field, that's a touchdown. But he threw it too far inside and too far ahead, and Keyshawn didn't get to it. Right. One thing I, I, you know, I had this conversation on my plane ride back. I was sitting next to somebody who's, you know, been on Miami's previous staffs and and uh, has been around the game of football for a long time. Okay, and he's you know mostly a defensive coach. But one thing we talked about on the plane ride home was, you know, how do you sort of establish that chemistry with receivers? Well, part of it is having those guys in the game regularly, right? Like think back to the glory days when the Canes played. Did Michael Irvin ever come off the field? Did Randall Hill ever come off the field? Did Reggie Wayne ever really come off the field? They were in on a lot of snaps. And one thing that we saw in this game was a heavy rotation of receivers, right? I mean, um, the snap counts for this game, Keyshawn, 64 snaps, Michael Redding, 60, Richard Smith, 35. Then you had uh, Jacoby George, 25, Romello Brinson, 20, and Frank Ladson, 20. I know that it's not necessarily a deep rotation, but when you go back and you compare it to last year, because that's what we love to do. We love to compare it to last year. Rhett Lashley, you know, his offense was awesome. People forget they still went 7-5 and five last year, but his offense was awesome. Um, Charleston Ramble played 83% of Miami snaps last season. On offense, Keyshawn Smith played 74%. Mike Harley was in on 53% of the snaps. This year, Keyshawn is in on only 63% of the snaps, Reading 59 and Brashard Smith 36. So I bring this up only to say every single one of these guys runs a route dif differently. Because if they all ran it the same, Tyler would be able to recognize, and you're a quarterback, you played, he'd be able to just, every time he throws and steps back, he'd have full confidence, hey, I can release the ball then. I can release the ball here. Every one of these guys is, is again, they all have their own characteristics. Some of them are faster than others. Some of them are. And when, you, and when you're trying to build this chemistry, right, and your security blanket is gone and all these guys run, run, run routes differently, what happens? You have that timing mistake where every now and then the ball will be just a little bit behind or just a little bit ahead or just, just out of reach. And I think that's huge. And, and so the conversation I had on the plane ride back was, why doesn't Mario and Gaddis just pare this down? And the reality was I, I got the answer today. Um, they don't have a guy in their mind. That's the problem. That's the issue. And I was so, be my point. who's the Charleston Ramble? Who's the Mike Harley in this team? You don't have, you have the Mike Harley, but he's hurt now and restruffle. And the other thing is like, you tend to build those reps also in that trust and practice. But what happens when you're seeing day in and day out in practice, guys not coming down with the football, there's that yeah. lack of trust. So there's that insecurity when you're releasing the ball to these guys. And then when you, when you lack chemistry overall, the thing that needs to bond you is the scheme. The, the thing that needs to bond you is we run this corner route 
at seven, plant this foot and aim for this point every time, every receiver. This is how we do it. You may do it differently in terms of your speed and how you shake to get to that point, but we know at seven we're breaking and we're going to that landmark, and that's where you got to hit them. If the receivers are doing their own thing and they're not crisp in how they're running the routes the way they're supposed to be, that's when you have those miscommunications and the mistiming. The issue is these guys, and that's probably why they didn't get a lot of run early on, uh, and, and they're splitting rotations because guys that can run the routes and are you know on point with it, Keyshawn Smith, Michael Redding, you know, Xavier Estrepo, Frank Lazen, they aren't always making plays. The only one that was was Restrepo. So now they have to rotate it and try and find a spark and see if they can get a big play from somebody else. But then these guys that come in, yeah, they're talented, but they're not at the place they're they're not in the right spot. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're not running routes the way they should be running, and that could be an issue. Uh, I looked ahead. I said, all right, who are the toughest pass defenses left on Miami's schedule, right? Because AM was top 12. It's early in the year. I get it. But none of them are top 40 teams. Duke is 42nd in pass efficiency defense. They're giving up about 230 yards per game, three touchdowns and one interception. Clemson is 45th, three TDs, five INTs, 243 yards a game. And then Pittsburgh is 56th, 223 yards, five TDs, four, four INTs. And Florida State's below that? Yeah. Um, those are the top three that I saw that were sort of top 50. Um, that's important to note because, again, you could sit here and say, man, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be a horrible year. They have no – well, no, they're not going to play Texas A&M type secondaries the rest of the year. So maybe they can work their way through some of this stuff. Um, what else do we want to talk about? Um, we already touched on the red zone. Well, you talk about snap counts, my man. We're going to try and have a recurring segment on the show that I haven't told you about, which is I told you, Manny. And okay, here's go ahead. what I told you. How many defensive players got snaps? I think we still had 12 that got defensive uh, snaps on the defensive line. I want to say five linebackers or four linebackers, and then the secondary was like six or seven deep. So I think it went 25 players based on PFF. Okay. See, I was about right from what I remembered off the top of my head because I, I do it every down, week. I chart all that. down the rotation and no more than 18. I told you we're going to try some of the young guys and get them in there. Right. I told you, Manny. I told you because they well, wanted to see what they had. And I think it's good that they got Nigel Lee Kelly in for seven snaps. But saying things in for five, they rotated different guys in to see who has the juice to rely on and lean on moving forward. Um, and I'm just messing with you. It's just, I, I just found it funny that they had like 25 guys uh, rotating in and out of there. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what? Of all those guys, the most surprising of all, who do you think it was? The guy DJ Ivy? Yeah. DJ Ivy's a fan of the show, Manny. He, he listens to us because I've been, I've been shitting on DJ Ivy for about three weeks now. And apparently he heard me. And if I, he catches me in the streets, I fear for my life because this man came out and played possessed. Um, you know, he had a great game, had two pass breakups, you know, had a 79.8 cover grade, which I don't think I've ever seen from him. And actually had a 77.7 tackle grade. The guy wasn't making tackles. Manny. What's going on? I know. Um, I, I did a bunch of defensive stats. I didn't run the story yet, but I have a whole bunch of them here. Um, we'll get back to, to Miami's off or to Miami's offense in a minute, but I'll share since we kind of skipped ahead. Um, let's see. Hold on, I have them done. Here we go. Um, my here's here's a couple of things about Miami's defense. They've only given up thirty seven points, right? Uh, thirteen to Bethune Cookman, uh, seven to Southern Miss, and then seventeen to A and M. The one thing they were talking about today was sixteen of those points have come on the opening drive of either the first half or right after halftime. Three field goals and a touchdown, and so. 
that's the one area, right, that Mario brings up, he, you know, because he's looking for things that they've got to do better. I mean, it was as good a game defensively as you could have had. Yes, you had a couple missed tackles. It was eight missed tackles, I think, in the game. But I looked this stat up. Um, last year, do you know how many games Miami had where they had fewer than 10 missed tackles? One. Three. Three games. Um, you know how many they have this year? All of them. Three. So they've already matched uh, in terms of mistakes. And, and one thing Mario talked about today is that when he graded it, 66% of those missed tackles, which, by the way, 66%. It was, it was 10 against Bethune-Cookman, 5 against Southern Miss, 8 against Texas A&M. So do the math, 23. Um, 66% of those missed tackles are guys getting out of their gap. So the little moments when they don't do their job is when they're getting burnt. The rest of the time, they're wrapping. So that's huge. And really, that I, I wrote in my story Saturday, that to me is why I have confidence that they can win this division and get to the ACC title game, which to me, again, they do that, it's a successful season for Mario. He gets a good recruiting class. He shows people that there's progress made. There's only been one trip to the ACC title game in the 18 years previously that Miami's been in the ACC. So you you get to the ACC title game. doesn't matter what happens. Obviously, you don't want to get embarrassed. But if you get there, that's a huge victory for, for the program in terms of a step forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you see just the change in how they're playing and how they're approaching the game. That first series where AM was coming down the field, yeah, they got a field goal, but they held at the end and they kept them out of the end zone. Whereas in the past, they probably would have let them go into the end zone, score a touchdown right away, and the momentum swings all the way to Texas A&M. And then you got the drive where you come back down the field, get it all the way down there, and you get the field goal. Um, so they responded. But, um, I mean, it, it, it's you can tell just by the way these guys are playing. They're playing more disciplined, aside from the penalties, of course, in terms of their, their responsibilities on defense. And I think this is the first game you really saw the, the the talent and ability on that defensive line where they really were dominating up front and not necessarily pushing guys into the backfield, but maintaining their gaps, allowing the linebackers to flow. And because of it, you have Corey Flagg having his best game probably as a hurricane. You know, his, his defensive rating was an 88, 83.8, 89.9 run defensive rating, had four tackles, zero missed tackles on 33 snaps. Yeah, um, he played great. Um, so did Caleb Johnson. And Caleb Johnson, again, the UCLA transfer, uh, he started first time. They, they actually brought Corey off the bench and Corey ended up playing more. But, um, you know, today, David Lake of Inside the U asked Kevin Steele, is there any chance, uh, you know, we could see both of them together on the field? Because really it's the weak side linebacker spot in coverage that's been hurting them. And Steele, who's obviously, you know, Southern boy, very funny, said uh when you're building a house you know you wouldn't have your uh, plumber handle the drywall and you wouldn't have your drywaller handle handle the, the plumbing so ultimately here even though he told us in the preseason that he, he could play both of them at the same time uh i think he's he, he likes what he has there and probably is willing to live with what he's got at the weak side linebacker spot especially if a guy like wesley besaint continues to rise and chase smith and those guys continue to get better and better um you could probably wait uh because even though uh, Wayman Steed got beat on the 25-yard touchdown uh, catch by uh, by Devin Chain. Um, it was one of those plays where you could picture it. You know, when you play Clemson in November, it's Wesley Bassinth out there. He's in coverage and he makes the tackle. And your defense, you know, you can kind of leave leave the rotation the way that it is, and guys build that confidence and that and that chemistry in what it is that they're doing. So. Um, Great game by the defense. Shame that they didn't come away with the victory. And the one thing I will say, okay, 
as dumb as it was for Tyreek Stevenson to field that punt, I appreciated the fact that he came back and didn't let it affect him the rest of the game. Right. I mean, he, he fielded a punt right. the next time. And then, and then on defense, he was good. He, he was, yeah, yeah. He, he was, you could see he was trying to shake it off on that next series. And, and he, he was, he was a man about it. He admitted the mistake. You could see it in his face. He was pissed off, but he played through it. And that's what you need. He didn't have any other mistakes the rest of the game. Obviously that was a big one, a costly one, but it's nice to see that at least the mental fortitude of this team, their attitude, their belief in themselves is starting to, to rise and crescendo and really see and buy into what Mario's preaching. Because they're not giving up. They're fighting. They're out there. They're, they're playing the next play. And the, defensively, they look like a totally different team. Offensively, they sort of do it sometimes as well. Uh, maybe not for the best. But they are taking on the personality of their coach. And one of the things that they did really well on offense was run the football. And, man, were they pounding Texas A&M with a run game. They were really being uh, aggressive with it and, and, and getting upfield and getting, like I said, three 10-plus yards rushes for Parrish and Knighton each. The offensive line was doing a great job. They protected TVD. And, and it was nice to see that this building from the interior out, this vision that Mario has, you could see where it's going to go. And once he gets the other pieces together, it's going to be something to be record. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, we're not going to get too in the weeds with Middle Tennessee. Um, we'll save our, our big previews for the ACC games in North Carolina in three weeks uh, after Miami's bye week. Um, but I am going to talk a little bit about them and integrate them into the conversation as, as we talk about the Hurricanes here. Um, number one, Middle Tennessee State is two and one. Um, they've got, you know, they lost their opener. I think it was forty-four to seven to James Madison, the new the new FBS program that had dominated at the FCS level for many years. Um, and then they beat Colorado State. I think it was something like thirty-four sixteen. And then they won last week against ten- Tennessee State, who's an FCS team. Uh, so they're two and one coming into this game. Uh, Rick Stock still has been the the coach at Middle Tennessee for sixteen years. He's been there a long time. They've had successes as a group of five school. Um, you know, they average 30 points a game. They run the air raid. Uh, Chase Cunningham is their quarterback. He's a fifth-year senior. He's got two receivers that are kind of the main two go-to targets that are both seniors. Isaiah uh, Gavings, um, he's 6'4", 222 pounds, big boy. 20 catches, 156 yards. The thing is, he doesn't really go downfield very often. Uh, 17 of his catches have come within 10 yards of the, of the line of scrimmage. So he's more of a big physical you know, ball control type guy. I could see DJ Ivy or, or, or Stevenson covering him most of the game. And then you have um, Yusuf Ali, who's 5'9", 183. Um, he is the deep threat for them. They kind of line him up, let him run down the field, get mismatches. He'll probably be to Corey Couch's uh, main main cover for most of the game. Um, he's got uh, 16 catches, 128 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, he's six targets, 20 yards downfield or longer. So, there you go. That's that's your scouting report on what they do offensively because they don't they really don't run the ball. It's a lot of bubble screens, a lot of short passes. Um, think they it's the air raid, man. Yeah, it's the air raid. It's three yards rushing and and uh, and so that's what they do offensively. Defensively, they bring a lot of pressure. Um, I think they're seventh in tackles for loss and sixth in sacks. Uh, but this week, you know, this is the kind of week where you're home. You're coming off a loss. 
if if I'm Miami's, I want the shutout this week, right? Like I I, <laughs> I want to really flex my muscles. And and the thing is, it'll be interesting is the defensive line because of the style that these guys play, where they get rid of the ball so quickly, it's going to be more about deflecting passes. So I could see this week a bunch of interceptions, a bunch of batted balls, a bunch of you know instead of sacks, just a lot of big plays where they're stripping the ball, you know, tipping the ball, etc. Yeah, absolutely. And with the air raid, like you said, they get the ball out quick a lot. Um, they will go down the field on occasion, but a lot of their their run game is basically quick passes. That's how they they incorporate the run game. It's just using quick passes, like bubble screens, quick screens, things of that nature. Um, you know, I think this week what you want to see from Miami is them shake off the loss and start strong, start fast. Don't give up a score on the first series that they that they're on defense. Get a three and out if you can. And if you start the ball, start the game with the ball, drive it down the field and punch it in, exert your dominance early on in the run game, and then play off of that. Because we've seen, you know, this team's strength, thank God, finally, is the offensive line in the run game. Uh, it's been a long time since we can say that. And the more you accentuate that, the more you'll try and make it easier on TVD. Um, you know, not every team is going to be able to drop eight and be able to cover you. Uh, okay. These guys obviously like to bring pressure. If they drop eight, it's going to be uncharacteristic for them. Although they think it'll work, they'll throw it in here, they'll mix it in. But it's not something they know how to play on a regular basis. That's not, that's not their style of defense. So you can catch them in that as well. I just want to see a crisp, efficient, you know, strong performance where you can say, okay, these guys aren't get, having a hangover from last week. Yeah, and I think, you know, from, from talking to a few people around the program, the attitude is different. Um, you know, I think it's like you said, they, they kind of represent Mario and his mentality of back to work. You know, we're not going to let this linger. We want to win. We have bigger goals, et cetera. Um, you know, Mario, I was at the post game. You know, you could see he was mad. He was pissed that they lost the game. Um, not that you, not that I've ever seen him happy after a loss, but you could tell that it, it hurt him that it, they should have won in his mind. You know, he felt that way. You could read that on his face um, and that he was really frustrated. Um and but at the same time too, he was very in control. He didn't really lose his cool when he was talking to us. And um, so it's very business like turnaround. You know, we're, we're going to go out there and do what we need to do, um, and and get the season back on track. So that's good if you're a Miami fan to, to hear that, uh, to see that sort of response in your head coach. There's no panic. Um, all right, Miami's run defense this year, uh, 29th in the country, 2.87 yards per carry. They've only given up, they're averaging four carries of 10 yards or more per game. Last year, they were 48th in yards per rush, 3.89 yards per carry, and they were allowing an average of five runs of 10, 10 yards or more. The best rushing teams left on Miami's schedule include North Carolina, which is obviously the next game after this uh, this one this weekend. They're averaging 5.98 yards per carry. Marion Hampton, I do the true freshman report every week for the Athletic. He's always in there for North Carolina, just an elite rusher. Um Duke, 5.86 yards per carry. They've been the surprise. They're obviously 3-0. They get Kansas this week. North Carolina. Also 3-0 Kansas. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, and, and North Carolina's got uh, Notre Dame. And then Florida State, um, they're averaging 5.64 yards per carry. Clemson, 5.1. So those are your best rushing teams in the ACC, aside from Miami, who's who's running the ball really, really well this year, obviously. Um, and then, you know, as far as passing teams down the road, and I'm, I'm just bringing this up because I looked all of it up and I'm not going to waste it. So, uh, <laughs> um, well, first of all, the, the best pass blocking teams, okay, right now, Duke leads the ACC in, pla- in pass blocking efficiency. They've given up no sacks, nine pressures allowed on 85 snaps. 
Uh, Virginia Tech's giving up two sacks. North Carolina, two sacks. And then uh, Middle Tennessee, they're 39th out of uh, 60 group of five schools in offensive line efficiency. They've given up seven, uh, seven sacks and 23 pressures allowed. So Miami will get to the quarterback eventually in that game. But um, that's uh, some some pass blocking type numbers. And then the top remaining quarterbacks on Miami's schedule include, obviously, Drake May, 11 touchdowns, one pick, 74% completion percentage, 930 yards uh, passing. Riley Leonard for Duke, 72% completion percentage, 723 yards, five touchdowns and two picks. And then Jordan Travis, who was obviously injured uh, in the Louisville win, um, 67% completion percentage, 624 yards, four touchdowns. Right now, on paper, those are the guys that, that have the highest QB ratings that's left on Miami's schedule. Now, we're going to get to the mailbag, but anything else about Texas A&M before we move on? Um, you know, I, I, I liked how they got the tight ends more involved in the second half. I think that's something they need to continue to do. Um, I think they need more Arroyo in the passing game. You saw explosive he can be with that long catch. You know, uh, in, the, in the passing downs that they were in, passing snaps, Mallory only passed block on 20% of those pass plays, whereas Arroyo passed blocked on 50%. Right. Of his pass plays, so that because right, he's in the H back role, right? But I think we, they need to flip that a little bit. Maybe get Mallory off the field a little bit, or get them both flexed out, or get them both in the passing game, or switch things up a little bit because the Royal needs the ball. He's he's an athlete. He's a guy that can make plays, and we know Mallory can come in and out depending on on the day of the week. Um, the other thing I found interesting was on the thirty three design runs they had twenty of those went to the right side. It seemed to me early on like they were running to the right side, even tossing stuff to the short side of the field to the right side of the line. I guess they feel that's their strongest side in terms of uh, their run blocking. And the other thing was Zion Nelson looked a little rusty to me. Uh, he had two penalties, didn't look you know, as dominant as he normally does. Uh, you know, John Campbell looked better than he did out there, and, and uh, Justice also struggled a little bit with two penalties. So the offensive line played well, but it wasn't perfect. Yeah, and DJ Scaife, the, the news today, because he left in the fourth quarter, right? He didn't come back. He kind of limped off the field. Um, Mario said he practiced. Uh, so, and he said he could have come back in the game. Um, they just decided not to. He kind of sprained his ankle a little bit. Uh, I don't know how bad the sprain is, but it's bad enough where he had to leave. Um, but he was he was back at practice, so that's a good sign. Um, all right, let's get to the mailbag. Um, let's just roll through them as fast as we can. This is from Andrew underscore Andrew V underscore 17 on Twitter. With the lack of wide receivers stepping up, do you see that as a positive or negative when it comes to recruiting the wide receiver position? Moving forward, it seems like wide receivers would see the opportunity to come in right away and probably get a starting spot. I agree. I think they they see what's going on. They see the lack of a playmaker. And I think guys that might come out in the portal are seeing the same thing also. Uh, so if they're not getting enough balls in, in their, their, their college right now, their university, they're looking across and saying, okay, should I come back home uh, and, and come to Miami where there's a lack of explosive playmakers or receiver and I could come in and, and start making a difference? The other thing is, I think at some point, you know, these receivers are, are going to have to take some pride in what they do, and somebody's going to have to step up and make a play. And and once they maybe get a couple balls thrown their way, make a couple plays, they start rolling. Uh, you know, I thought Jacoby George might be on the brink of, of uh, taking that next step now after this game, but, of course, he's injured now. So we got to see what happens. I'd love to see Frank Lazen make some plays. I'd love to see Keyshawn Smith finally connect on some deep balls and make some plays uh, and just see what happens. But I think from a recruiting perspective, you have to be – as a receiver looking at this, if you're in the 23 class saying, or even, a, like I said, a transfer portal guy, this is an opportunity for me to come in and, and make an immediate impact. Um, yeah, I, I would answer it this way. I agree. 
I think the most encouraging sign for Miami recruits anyway, right? What they're looking for is the fact that they haven't abandoned the passing game because they still threw it 41 times in this game. And they didn't just, yes, when they got in the red zone, you know, it was a five to four passing to running ratio. It wasn't like they gave guys a shot to go up and catch jump balls. Okay, I get it. But if I'm Brandon Innes or I'm any of these other, you know, top elite South Florida receivers, I'm looking at the fact that Josh Gaddis is keeping with the receivers, right? He's the receivers coach. He wants to keep throwing the football. He's calling plays that are, that are, you know, allowing guys to the opportunity to go out and make plays. And it's just not happening. So I think that's the most encouraging sign. I think the moment Miami completely abandons it because they, they're just not having any success. Then, then that puts them in a little bit more jeopardy with these recruits. But I, but Andrew, I would say, I think without question, this, this helps them on the recruiting front. All right. This is from uh, a Tillerson underscore Dick Grayson on Twitter. With how much South Florida talent at Saturday, at Saturday's game with Miami Connections, have you heard of the Canes had any sway with these recruits? Um, I think Gabby Hrutia had a write-up on that in, in, in Inside the U, and I would encourage you to go read that story. I haven't spoken to any of them since the game. I know that um, there were several that were supposed to be there. I think Hakeem Williams who's going to be announcing this week um, on the 23rd where he's, where he's committing. Um I think he was there. Uh, I know there were a couple of the locals, a couple of the 24 kids were there, Jermaine Smith and um, I mean, uh, and Jojo Trader. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they, they were there to watch it. It was an incredible atmosphere. Um, I know Texas A&M is trying to get there, get some some guys to go out there. Um, so, you know, in the end, to me, what's going to matter with all of these recruits is the way the season goes and the way the atmosphere is at the end of the season. Miami needs to have a near sellout against Pittsburgh at the end of the year. They need to they need to be in the hunt for the Coastal Division Championship, the last game of the year, and they need to have an electric crowd that night. If they do that and they win and they show all those recruits the last night of the season, hey, we're for real. That's that's the send off you need going into the early signing period in December. All right, um, this is from Jake Campbell. Uh, the one coach soup on Twitter. Manny, do you believe TVD feels like he has to throw a perfect ball every time, which then has made him a double clutch or hesitant at times? Uh, I say that because they don't have that guy that if it's in his radius, they'll snag it like Rambo did. Seems like he has zero confidence in his wide receivers. Yeah, I don't think the double clutching is because he thinks he has to throw for perfect pass. I think it's because he's waiting for guys to break open that aren't breaking open. He's also not fully comfortable with the offense yet, in my opinion to know exactly where he's got to go with the football based on coverage. And I think that's going to come with time. I think you saw it take him a couple weeks under Lashley's offense to really get rolling and understand where he needed to go with the football and what he needed to do. And I think part of that was also Lashley adjusting his play calling to fit TVD a little bit better. And like anything else, you know, just like players need to get adjusted to a new scheme, you know, coaches need to get adjusted to their personnel and how, what they do best. And the, you really only learn that under game conditions, right? You only see what they can do against teams like Texas A&M. So I think you may see some adjustments in, in the way Gaddis calls a game in terms of a passing game, maybe make some adjustments in terms of the route schemes and stuff that he uses, helping TBD filter through things a little quicker um, and, and allow him to feel comfortable back there to make throws and not have to double clutch and wait for guys to pop up. All right. This is from um, Sergio Silvestre on Twitter. Fact or fiction, number one, Miami will finish top 50 in scoring offense. Number two, Miami will finish top 30 in scoring defense. And number three, 
Jake Garcia will start at least one game non-injury related. You pick a number and you go first. Uh, three, false. I don't think Jake Garcia starts uh, over Tyler Van Dyke. I don't think there's going to be a substitution because of performance. I think you'll see Tyler get better as the season goes on. He didn't have a great game, but again, not all that was his fault. Um, you'll see him be the Tyler Van Dyke we're expecting as the season goes on and gets more comfortable with the offense. Offense, I think true. They'll be top thirty in scoring, uh, top scoring in thirty, and top thirty in scoring defense. And I think they'll be top fifty in uh, points per game on offense because that's only in the thirties in terms of where you need to be in terms of points per game. Well, and they were in the thirties the last two years under Lashley. I don't know that they'll average thirty points. I think there may be a few games they win twenty to. 17 this year because of the situation they've got at receiver. Um, there's still some good defenses they're going to play against. Um, and I don't think they're going to light people up and get into the 50s and 60s and help sort of pad those numbers. So I will say no on the first one. I don't think they'll be a top 50 scoring offense, but I do think they'll be a top 30 scoring defense. And I don't think Jake Garcia is going to play this year, or at least far as far as getting a start for Miami ahead of Tyler because of performance. This is from J.K. Slay on Twitter. Texas A&M was a tough loss. Miami will get another shot to play this game again, November 19th versus Clemson. Like Texas A&M, Clemson is an average offense, good defense, top 20 matchup, and it will be a hostile environment. But this time, a win or loss will matter more due to it being an ACC game. Do you agree? I do agree. I think this is really the measuring stick game, right? You, we, we talked about it before the season started. I said that – Texas A&M, no matter how it turns out, at the end of the day, it doesn't really have that big of an impact on your season. It's more of a recruiting game because you want to show recruits so you can play with an SEC team on the road, a team you're, you're in on with a lot of recruits that you're competing directly against. Um, so for me, in terms of the overall outcome of the season and the measuring stick in terms of where you are as a program in the conference moving forward, you know, Clemson is a big one. And, and uh, more than likely, you're going to face them twice if you go to the ACC championship game. Yeah, and look, I, I think there's no question that's that's what you hope for now if you're a Miami fan, that they, they reel off a bunch of wins, and then the big test is that game, right? Do you, do you have a chance to really win the conference this year? And if you go into Clemson and you beat them, you know, late in the year, you put yourself in the position probably to make the playoff by, by winning out the next two games, Pittsburgh and probably a rematch against Clemson or somebody else, whoever ends up getting into the ACC title game. So not all is lost on this season. I think Miami can still make the playoff. Uh, they've got to obviously run the table. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, yes, this will be the big test for them that night, uh, how they sort of respond in that atmosphere. And they'll have a bigger, they'll have a big test before they even get to that night. Coming off the bye week and playing Carolina, you know, it's been a team that's, you know, beaten Miami several times over the last few years, dominated them, embarrassed them at certain points. Um, coming off a, a bye offense. week, coming off a bye week, a team that can really score points with a great quarterback, great running game, you know, they're not playing great defensively. They're, they're giving up 75 points a game. But um, that is a team that you can see if you've already evolved. If you've taken the next step as a program where you're leaving behind the mistakes of the past, can you slow down that Carolina offense and get a W? All right. This is from Canada Canes on Twitter. His first name is Justin. With the lack of wide receiver talent and lack of experience potentially impacting his play, what are the chances that TVD comes back for one more season to polish his skills and solidify his NFL draft position? Um, I'm going to answer this one first and you can give your thoughts, but obviously this is not the kind of start that he wanted for his NFL, you know, status. But I do think there are enough smart NFL people who are watching him saying he's devoid of receivers. And this is almost an even better test, right? Because let's face it. There's some guys who have stacked rosters 
every single year. And, you know, some of those quarterbacks make their name off the talent around them. Um, this is obviously one of those years where you can sort of compare and contrast TVD. And I think if he plays strong the rest of the season and Miami wins a lot of games, I, I think regardless of whatever struggles this offense has had early on, there's going to be a lot of NFL teams interested in him. Yeah, and the other thing is that the tools that he has aren't disappearing. You could still see the arm strength. Uh, the accuracy is, 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 you know, falter him a little bit, but you could see how he can be pinpoint on certain throws. You see all the tools he's got, his size, um, you know, not a great guy running the ball, but mobile enough to pick up a first down with his legs if he has to. He's got a lot of tools that the NFL likes. And if he performs at least comparably to what he should be doing, I think he'll still go in, in the second round latest. All right. Um, this is from Rodney King, the Rodney King, uh, 06 on Twitter. Um, no question, but can Carlos drop an Eddie Murphy character reference in every show? And yes, I caught the Star Trek 2 reference last week. Thank you for catching the con reference. And yes, I will drop an Eddie Murphy reference when appropriate. I can't just do it on demand now. I got to find a spot to do it. Because you know what? I'm not falling for the banana in the tailpipe. There you go. There you go. All right. Alex H. Bryant on Twitter says, what are reasonable expectations for the wide receiver room the rest of the way? Um, what are reasonable expectations that somebody emerges and leads the team in in receptions and yards and touchdowns. Those are those are those are reasonable expectations. I, I will Will Mallory is this is this here's the here's another way to phrase this. And, and do you think Will Mallory leads the team now in all of those categories with Xavier gone for six games and and or do you think there is some a receiver who emerges and becomes the primary target? In my mind, I thought it would have been Jacoby George that, that came off the bench and, and eventually at some point became the guy. You know, I think Romello Brinson still has a shot, but it doesn't seem to be like all there with the playbook yet. Um, I think at the end of the day, just because of the way they use the tight ends in this offense and with Restrepo gone, you're going to see Tyler Van Dyke lean more on, on Mallory. And I think they're going to try and scheme things up because he's a matchup nightmare. You saw that. Right. Whenever he's he's flexed on a linebacker, it's it's almost impossible to, cut, to, to cover him. And uh, he makes big plays when he gets the ball. But he's also got to show up, which is the thing about Will Mallory. He comes in and he comes out. You don't know who Will Mallory you're going to get on a game-to-game basis. If it's a guy that we see that all the talent in the world, he could have a Brevin Jordan-type year. But he's he's really got to be more consistent with his effort. All right. Uh, this is from Pump28 on Twitter. When do we see TVD, the receivers, and Gattis' offensive scheme begin to gel, especially considering the heightened offensive line play? I'm going to say this weekend against – uh, middle Tennessee. I, I think they're going to come out and, and you know, try to light up the scoreboard and send the message. And they can. I, I, this Middle t- Tennessee defense, again, they're sort of gambling for everything, right? Create turnovers, create big plays on defense, create negative plays. This Miami game plan, I'm assuming, will be protect TVD, um, run the ball hard, and then hit them with the play action. And I think this is the kind of opponent where they can get healthy pretty quick. I agree. And I think the last two games, they tried to get TVD going early uh, and it didn't always work out. But I think this game, they're going to open up running the football and trying to be physical and dominate and bully Middle Tennessee, showing them who's the dominant team on the field. And I think eventually as you go on, you'll see Gaddis now coming off tape against Texas A&M, a real, a real defense, let's say. Now he can pare down his offense a little bit or maybe maximize certain things, expand upon certain things that he sees his guys do well and have worked well in games and then play off of that and eliminate certain things where – you know, he just hasn't gotten production out. Um, this is from Jason Real Hip Hop on Twitter. Uh, 
We all heard how conservatively Cristobal coaches on game day before arriving. After watching the game Saturday, do you believe that he will need to recruit at an elite and at an elite level and have significant talent advantage in order to avoid coaching style from holding the team back? Um, I don't know that this is a, a simply a talent situation. I think it's specific to the fact that he just doesn't have a receiver that he has confidence in. And to be honest, um, the conservative game plan was the way that they needed to sort of win this game. We talked about it going in, that they had to run the football and have success and then win off a of play action. And what happened was they won between the 20s, and when they got inside the 20, it, 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 that's when it faded. I, I don't I don't, th- I don't, don't have an issue with the conservative game plan because I think they can win this way, the, the ACC. I think they can win their division playing this style. If I felt they were, you know, missing out on something, I mean, if they're – if they had the receivers and they were playing this way, that would be one thing, but they don't have the receivers to play any other way. Yeah. And I think you may see as time goes on, maybe in this game, Colby young inserted near the, near the red zone in the goal line area, because right now what happens in the goal line area is you're compressing the field, right? There's not right. as much grass to cover and they're usually playing man to man in that area. So when you can't get separation, you don't have a big guy to go get the football. It becomes very difficult. So that's where I think Colby young can come in and have an impact is being that red zone guy that they used to use Lawrence Cager as and throw that ball up to him and see if he can come down with it and at least try and make some plays in the end zone in the passing game. All right. Our buddy here, TT Komakete. All right. He has a message for you here. He says he wants to hear Raul say it loud, proud with vigor and confidence. And then he he put a little angry face there. Is there something that Raul said on your show? Uh, Raul did a five minute episode on my show talking about Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M, uh, Haynes King. He called Haynes King uh, the type of guy that sounds like a guy that who buys underwear every time he uses a pair because he refuses mm-hmm. to wash them. Um, you know, he just he just went off on A&M. And I'm sure Raul, as soon as he sobers up and dries out, will, will come back around. All right. Well, hopefully the next time uh, we can get uh, T.T. Ko Makete, uh, so we can do something for him maybe on the next uh, show here. Um, this is from Greg Y, Greg underscore Y on Twitter. Topic, would Lashley's offense have performed better at Texas A&M than Gattis's? Um, I don't think so because you would have had the same sort of blocking scheme, same offensive line coach. I think you're seeing the impact and the dividends that, that Mirabal and Cristobal are having on that offensive line. So I don't think you would have been, run, been able to run the ball that effectively. And then trying the same things you did last year with Charleston Rambo and Mike Harley wouldn't have worked this year because you don't have those guys. Yeah, I think I think the difference is if he has if you if you put Charleston Rambo and um, Mike Harley on this team, they probably win that game. I think that's the only thing you can say. Um, I don't think Lashley's offense would have won because they didn't run the ball the way that this team does. Um, all right, this is from three hundred five D O M I Dami. Um, Coach Cristobal, if it's fourth and goal on the one yard line, will you send out the field goal kicker again? What do you think Cristobal says to that? Oh, I'm not going to say what Cristobal would say to that because he'd probably say some ugly things. But I think there was only one time where I was like, they need to go for this on fourth down. It was fourth and goal uh, from the four. And I think it was 17-6 at the time. And I think there, you know, you're down to the scores. You know, you're in the second half. There's 8.32 left, I think. There was 8.32 left in the game. You needed to get a score there, get a touchdown to try and really get back into this game. They kicked the field goal to be within eight. But then you're counting on getting a two-point conversion to send it into overtime. 
down the stretch and then also counting on the defense to get the stop to get the ball back with enough time to do that, um, which they did. They got the next, and the next series was just a killer. That's when they ended up with the second and 30 with the penalties, getting them all the way backed up. They were on, they were on Texas A&M's half of the field, got backed up to their 39 and it was just a disaster of a series. And when they got the ball back at the end of the game, there just wasn't much clock left. So I think the one instance I would say Mario should have gone for was that fourth and goal. Uh, this is from Joey Inza um, on Twitter. Can we expect the Hurricanes defense to dominate an ACC play, or was there impressive showing due to playing an anemic Texas A&M offense? I don't know if they'll dominate, but I think they'll be very good. They'll be much better than last year, but I think they're going to have problems with certain teams and certain styles. I think Carolina is going to be a big test for that secondary. We're going to yeah. see what that secondary is made of. And the one thing A&M didn't really do that, you know, Southern Miss did a little bit, that Bethune even did a little bit, was go vertical on those corners. Yeah. And we're going to see them try and explode, expose them down the field because they have the guy to throw it, and they have the guys to throw it too. So we'll see what, what happens there. I think if you're facing a team that's predominantly run-based, I think this defense is going to play a lot better and shut them down. My concern is still with those corners. Uh, lacking speed and lacking the ability to, to make plays down the field. We'll see what happens. You know, I'm, I'm not concerned with the safety play. The safety play has been great so far, and I think it'll continue to be. But I think there's still going to be teams that challenge them defensively, and there's going to be a game where they're going to have to outscore an opponent, at least one, and it might be Carolina. Yeah, I, I, th I think you're absolutely right, and they'll have two weeks to prepare, to prepare for that game uh, coming off a of bye. They'll get healthier. Um, I, I, I do think – I do think they obviously benefited from the fact that Max Johnson is a game manager. So I think when they play quarterbacks that are sort of limited in that capacity where they're not going to be launching the ball down the field, they can dominate and shut shut opponents out. But And also not have to worry a quarter, about a quarterback who's athletic and can escape the pocket and but burn I, you. But I do think because they play a ball control style offense and they run the ball so much, it's not going to be easy for teams to just – boat racing up and down the field when Rhett Lashley was there and you were running, you know, a fast paced, no huddle offense. I mean, there were times the defense didn't even get a chance to sit last year and they already were back on the field. I, I think there's a little bit different momentum when you're running the ball and it, and, it, yeah, and you and were it, seeing a lot of three and outs under Lashley where, like you said, the defense was turning right back around onto the field. You can disrupt, you can disrupt a lot of rhythm with a running game on uh, for the other team. And and I think that's that's going to help them tremendously. All right, this is uh, Edward Kim at Rex on Twitter. Um, why does it seem like Gaddis is holding back TVD? What modifications does Gaddis need to make? The eye test tells me this isn't just an execution problem. I don't know that he's holding him back. I I, I do think that he's probably tell telling him in some capacity. Um, make the safe throw. Don't turn the ball over in this game, especially right. It was let's be in the fourth quarter. Let's win this game in the fourth quarter. And I think falling behind 17 to three um, Miami couldn't afford to turn it over. And so I don't think, you know, DVD was taking many chances because they needed to, to, to and they were having success running the balls. So it was one of those feelings like, Hey, we're going to move the ball on these guys. When we get in the red zone, we just got to put it in. And I think, so I, I, I don't get the sense that it's, Gaddis limiting limiting the uh, TVD as much as his receivers are limiting him. Absolutely. I totally agree. And like I said, no three and outs, you know, several 10 play plus drives. They, their average play drive was nine plays. Um, they, they ran the ball well. So it's going to be, a, it's just a matter of it all coming together and TVD feeling comfortable and Gaddis feeling comfortable with TVD with what he can do best. And I think eventually you'll see them be on the same page.
All right, Carlos, let's that's it. Forget, it, took, it, took, it took Kyle a while for him and Mark Rick to come together on the same page. And when they did, they just started reeling off all those wins at the end of the season, scoring a ton of points. Same thing last year with TBD and Brett Lashley. After the Virginia game, uh, Virginia was the second one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You saw them start to come together offensively and really start moving the football, and TVD turned into a different guy. So I think it'll happen eventually. All right, Carlos, uh, we're done. Do you have a, a prediction for this uh, week? I'm going to throw you another reference, but this time it's not going to be a Eddie Murphy reference. It's still going to be an 80s movie reference. I predict pain. <laughs> All right, brother. Um, thank you for hosting again with me make sure to listen to carlos's podcast the mia all day pod he's got it right there for you uh does excellent work on his uh canes breakdowns and we love having him here uh talking uh canes football with me every week i do i do a great job except for the fact that this week i said if they held a&m under 300 yards and rushed for over 150 i thought they would win the game i was close but it didn't happen not close enough brother Thanks again. Uh, make sure to subscribe. If you're watching this on the YouTube channel, make sure you subscribe. Check out some of the other uh, features. I did an interview uh, with Reed McKeska, one of the 2023 uh, commitments, tight end. Good-looking kid, 6'5", uh, you know, over 200 pounds. I love the way that he blocks and he's used in his fast-paced offense. Basketball player, dunk, super athletic. I think he's a great pickup for Miami in this 2023 class. Looks like a promise. He's a smart kid, too. Um, but I had an interview with good. him. Yeah, he was good. That's a good pickup. Um, I watched him last week in Texas. So uh, make sure you check out that interview. Um, it is on the YouTube page. And, and and make sure you subscribe to The Athletic, man. We need to uh, we need to keep picking up some more readers. Um, every week I'm, I'm putting stories in there. We got the True Freshman Report. And, you know, I do that nationally. I have the ACC mailbags. I write exactly. about the Canes, a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I don't just read it because it's you and, and I'm forced to, but I enjoy it. Well, appreciate that. Appreciate that. And we got a great staff as well at The Athletic. So thanks again for listening. Uh, we will be back uh, next week with uh, with a recap of what happened with Middle Tennessee State and probably our first report card uh, uh, being the non-conference and, and, and wrapping up sort of the month of September. Oh, progress so. report time. Progress report time. Report card. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>